welcome to the Hammer and Tulip podcast. Uh, I am Graham Phillips, your host, and I'm joined by the irrepressible Mr. Gareth Dix. Hello, hey. Mr. Dix. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing all right, mate. I'm coping with lockdown three. Looking forward to hopefully being allowed outside of my uh, immediate neighbourhood at some point in the not too distant future. How about you? Yeah, really n- not hoping for lockdown four. I, I really am <laughs> <Quite>. <laughs> honest with you. But yeah, I'm doing, doing good and um, all the better for being able to chat some theology this evening because it is it's interesting. Like everybody actually really generally is so starved of conversation and interaction. And, and we just hope uh, whoever you are listening to this, that this will bless you just by hearing two mates chatting theology and, and just a little bit of a human input really. Like, you know, yeah. this, is what, this is what we're so deprived of, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. And, and uh, you know, this topic that we're discussing today I think is a really really important one as well um, in this nation at this time and uh, I think it's something that certainly has been pretty kind of um, personal for me this topic today that we're going to discuss and um, we hope that for you listening in it 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 perhaps gives you clarity on some things Uh, maybe you'll leave today's episode uh, with some answers to questions, perhaps you might leave this episode having more questions than you had before you started listening, and uh, that's that's not a bad thing. And so we're hoping that today we're going to be able to bring some illumination to the subject of the NAR. Now, some call this NAR. I struggle to say that. I prefer to <laughs> nah, say NAR. It's NAR. <laughs> oh, it's got to be NAR, um, which stands for the New Apostolic Reformation. So that's a term that was coined by uh, C. Peter Wagner, who uh, was a a sort of self-styled apostle out in the West Coast. Um, He wrote several books uh, on modern day apostleship. And that term is not a term used by followers of the NAR movement, is it, Gareth? So the movement that we're gonna be discussing today, the NAR, um, it's not like discussing a denomination no not it's, at all it's not a nar isn't a moniker that uh, uh nar churches or those that follow nar theology would take up for themselves necessarily but it is a useful term i think that kind of throws a net over this particular theological construct this way of doing church um so I think it's really important to do uh, to do some kind of work defining what it is, and we'll do that shortly. Um, and hopefully today we'll be able to do a decent job of defining NAR, um, explaining what it looks like, uh, perhaps weighing up some of the concerns that we have about this movement, uh, and perhaps helping you to be informed. I suppose, to be informed in your judgments uh, about what you're seeing in the UK at the moment and whether you see what we see, which is that there is a a proliferation of this type of theology, that it's very common in the UK, that it's almost the kind of de facto position of, of many Christians in the UK today, but it's actually... A relatively new movement so this um yeah it's going to be a good discussion i hope um and we wanted to begin i think by just sort of reiterating some of our stances certainly on the gifts of the spirit because the, the nr movement um does quite often um get mischaracterized as just charismatic 
we want to show that today there is a difference actually absolutely um, you know we're, we're not standing here wanting to smear um people and tar everybody with this brush and say oh nar bad anybody that's nar then we boo hiss you know it's not what we're here to do and no. equally we're not sort of cessationists here wanting to like bash on charismatics you know uh, i think that's fair to say isn't it gareth that's absolutely right and i think uh, this is something that you know i feel really strongly about because like yourself i i'm word and spirit so i'm reformed on the word of god um gospel centered and and calvinist but at the same time i, I like yourself i'm a charismatic I, I don't just believe that the gifts of the spirit are for today but i actually actively minister in those gifts and uh, the, the, one of the one of the things that I found happening is if I'm discussing with people who are cessationist and they believe that the gifts of the Spirit ceased um, after the apostolic age, which by the way, there's nowhere in the Scripture that actually teaches that. Like I'd say, I'm actually a charismatic because I'm conservative. To nick that from Simon Ponsonby, who, by the way, his first two books, More and God Inside Out, really deal with that word and spirit balance really well. Very good, yeah. But but one of the things that I I've noticed is that if I, for example, was talking to a cessationist and I said well you know I, I've actually would have to disagree with you firstly because the word um, doesn't actually teach that secondly my experience of, of praying for people and being prayed for have actually um, been healed and seen healings in others and their response would be oh well do you have a medical certificate to prove it and naturally my response then would be well no because I don't tend to just carry medical certificates around on the off chance that I bump into a cynical cessationist it's not the sort of thing you do is it like, just pull out your bag and say oh yes that person's leg was healed i have the document to prove it um but you know i sort of think well okay if people don't want to believe that that's fine but you know you know we do believe that the gifts of spirit are for today so i think it's important to frame this with saying we are charismatics and we are on the inside on this conversation very much yeah for sure and i think you know not to misrepresent of course our cessationist brothers as well and sisters is that there are many cessationists, of course, that do believe in miracles. Um, Absolutely. That they would just say, of course, well, yes, God will heal in response to prayer. You know, um, but the, they do not believe that the gifts of the Spirit are for today. Um, I think, obviously, you and I would say firmly that the gifts of the Spirit are in operation today. Absolutely, and 100%. That, that's a biblical reason. Um, our reason for believing that is we cannot see as adherence to sola scriptura we can't see in scripture this belief that uh, these gifts kind of just ended with the end of the apostolic age and um therein in that phrase the end of the apostolic age is is kind of quite um it's quite an important phrase for our discussion today really about the new apostolic reformation the, the very idea of there being an apostolic age uh, is something that the followers of the new apostolic reformation would have truck with wouldn't they um, absolutely but we believe absolutely in the gifts of the spirit for today we don't see any biblical reason for them ending um however we are also reformed we believe in the absolute sovereignty of god amen brother <laughs> over all things uh, and all things over salvation and uh to god be the glory in all things you know so we don't see these two things as being incompatible and i think there has been this kind of strange belief that's crept in and i think 
for many reasons that if you're reformed you can't believe in the gifts for today that, that if you're reformed then you must of necessity be a cessationist certainly i've come up against that oh definitely um, in in leaving you know the former church i was at which i you know would classify as an nar church um you know i was asked several times well if you're reformed then you must be a cessationist and i said well why why must i you know and the, there isn't really answers to that other than well I, I know lots of them I know and that's true there are lots of reformed cessationists but I would say that I don't believe that cessationism is a natural outflow of um, reformed theology uh, I would actually say that the gifts of the spirit and our idea of continuationism flows from the scriptures and I'm a son yeah, scripture man so um, that's the way I see it but I think all in all that to cap this off, I think there is room for for discussion and debate within Christian brotherhood uh, on these within Christian fellowship, if you know what I'm meaning. So these these discussions about whether the gifts of today or not these are discussions that take place between fellow Christians. Uh, these are uh, important issues, but yeah, it doesn't put you outside of the kingdom uh, if if that makes sense for me. Um, so yes, so we, we wanted to affirm that before we begin, really. Um, we're both charismatic, we're both reformed. Um, I think that the, the charismatic movement in the last maybe, what, 30 years? Has Probably something like that, yeah. Has exploded. It has exploded and it is now sort of Pentecostal charismatic Christianity is the fastest growing form of Christianity on the planet. Um, it, it's you know it's the mainstream isn't it the it's mainstream, mainstream Christianity it's mainstream now you know it's come on a long way since John Wimber and the Vineyard movement of the you know the 80s uh, it's now mainstream and uh, you know charismatic Christianity has been the norm in many of the mainstream denominations in the UK for quite a while now and um, I, I think that is why perhaps there is confusion over whether there are, there are differences between the charismatic movement and the new apostolic reformation yeah and so the new apostolic reformation is a charismatic movement the, the people who are nar believe in the continuance of the gifts for today uh, and they like us would um would be believing in healing and all sorts of things like that but the point is the nar is slightly different isn't it gareth um yeah there's quite a few differences aren't there there are a number of differences um and i think perhaps in the to, it's important to give context to to kind of like point out what is an nar sort of belief or what is an nar church going to believe and essentially the difference between a, a charismatic church let's say and an NAR church is that an NAR church believes essentially that the offices of apostle and prophet continue to today. So not yep. only do the gifts continue, but actually the offices of apostle and prophet continue and ought to be active in the governance of a local church. So that's that's what an NAR church will believe. And they many of them actually don't put this into their statement of faith so if you if you go on an nar church's website 
it isn't going to say hi we're in nar church we believe in apostles and prophets for today it's unlikely to say that and we can talk a little bit about how you might spot nar theology and what words to look out for later on in the show but you won't often find that um but what you will see is that there'll be a big emphasis on things like the prophetic so instead of the gift of prophecy we're talking about the prophetic um there'll be talk about the apostolic realm or you know lots of talk about apostleship essentially what they believe is that um they might believe in eldership still they might believe that eldership is the way to govern a church but what they'll say is that that eldership ought to essentially be led or be governed by or overseen by whatever word you'd like to use by an apostle and so this would be essentially one man um, who oversees the eldership uh, who has the ability to make big calls by himself about doctrine um, the direction of the church who to have on the eldership who not to have on the eldership basically to operate like a first century apostle also this apostle would be um the one carrying fresh revelation yeah so they would be um the source of fresh revelation from god uh, they would be bringing you know well god's told me that's a classic kind of way you know you know god woke me up god said god told me and the apostle is the man who brings that revelation um you know the prophet might do likewise although the prophet in nar circles is to submit to yeah. the authority of the the apostle um can i just jump in and ask a quick question who yeah, is, yeah. is the is the apostle accountable to anybody or who is the apostle accountable to other apostles they'll say so okay. they'll, they'll use um galatians as the backup for that and say that you know paul went up to jerusalem and right. made himself accountable to other apostles so what they'll say is that the apostle is accountable to other apostles um and that there should be some kind of apostolic forum for that to take place now there are people out like peter c what sorry c peter wagner who attempted to do this um to create a forum for these kind of modern day apostles uh, to come and be but um it, things got quite muddied when it became apparent that you could actually pay for a position or for a place on that forum. So, in a sense, you could be you could pay to be an apostle. Um, wow! So, <laughs> things, things started to get a little bit sketchy there. I'd um, like to be Apostle Gareth, please. How much is that going to yeah, cost me? And, and this is it. You'll notice it because you'll see on social media certain individuals will start calling themselves apostle this or prophet that you'll you'll see on flyers for conferences these days quite commonly you know apostle such and such in charismatic worlds or prophet so and so and people taking these names for themselves and um yeah essentially an nar church is one that believes that it's the it's the office of apostle that governs over right elders. right um and that yes is some some believe in eldership some don't you know some some are literally kind of it's just the one pastor who also is the apostle and he just is doing his thing you know um others do have elderships but it will still be the apostle that uh, governs and in all of them there is this idea of there being a fresh revelation so you know um the apostle the prophet will be bringing fresh revelation they, they see it as their job to kind of be the brokers of revelation to the church 
And so many of these churches, well, none of them that I know of practice, they, they don't hold scripture in the way that we might, in the sense that they're not going to be preaching verse by verse. They're not going to be no. um, doing expositional preaching. Um, they're going to be certainly bringing lots of words and knowledge perhaps, or, you know, dreams they might have had, visions they might have had. And that's th those are sort of signs that you are in NAR church is that um, there's one particular character that seems to kind of be holding fort, you know, um, bring in revelation. Um, that's, that, those are sort of signs. Talk about the prophetic, talk about apostleship. Um, lots of phrases as well, you know, like... Like I've said already, like God said, God told me, um, th those sorts of things, which are kind of well, it's hard to validate, isn't it? Well, How can you validate not, what it's that? Not, it's not falsifiable, is it? You can't no. falsify that. You, so, it, these sorts of things are, are signs, um, but very often these churches are vague about their beliefs in this. You, you can often tell. Um, whether a church is NAR by its linkages, by its relationships. So, for example, a, a classic kind of NAR church would be Bethel Reading. Yeah, uh, where, that's the main one, I've, isn't it? I've been out there twice, you know, uh, to leaders' advanced conferences, and I believe there are genuine believers out there. And oh, absolutely, you know, there's some really godly people that go to Bethel. To, and I'll be honest, there's a lot, to, a lot to take from there. You know, um, some really good people have come out of there, but that would be an NAR church, and so. Uh, you'll often find NAR churches will look to Bethel uh, as an example to follow, um, look to Bill Johnson as an apostle. Um, and there'll be linkages with uh, Catch the Fire, you know, with uh, the church in Toronto. Yeah. You know, places like that, again, I'm very familiar with and some really good people out there. Um, but I think essentially you'll see it in the relationships. You'll see it in the types of things that happen. There'll, there'll be a school of ministry very often in, in these NAR churches. I actually started a school of ministry, you know, and these schools of ministry are there to effectively train people in the spiritual gifts. And um, there's some merit to doing this. I won't say it's, you know, it's necessarily a bad thing. It's just that sometimes these schools and I've been to BSSM, I've seen some of the things that go on there, so, so, without any kind of doctrinal input. Uh, no. And lots of <laughs> strange and interesting practices taking place. Yeah. You know, often they these schools of ministry can end up just really messing people up, you know? Yeah. Um, so those are the sorts of things that you'll see, that there will be... Um, a, a very stark lack of accountability at the top end um, because what will be said is well you know our accountability is to God and to other apostles and you know take my word for it it, it doesn't happen you know there is there isn't no. any accountability at the top end it's you usually see one character um, who is in charge you know and uh, they are the apostle and um, I think the the issue really in this discussion um, is that what would be the way that you would be able to verify whether somebody is an apostle these days? How would you verify that? And I've read books on this. I've read books by some of C. Peter Wagner's protégés on 
apostles today and what have you. And the best that they have in terms of how you verify an apostle is essentially that they feel called to be an apostle. <laughs> so if I get up in the morning and go, do you know what? I just really think I was calling me to be an apostle. Yeah, well, that's Apostle Gareth is a thing, you know. Is you, that, have is to, it's... you have to really feel like it. You have to really feel that's God's call. And then you have, to have other people that will say, yeah, I see that on you to a degree, right? Right to a degree but they've even dropped that one you know some of the some of these writers now don't even believe that's a a thing it's just that it's more or less that you see yourself as an apostle um you know it helps if you've had some level of success in ministry that you can point to but um essentially it's a it's a self-definitional thing it's like well yes i i see myself as an apostle i uh, bill johnson would define as an, a, a, an apostle as somebody that kind of brings heaven's blueprint down to earth yeah that's that's the words that they would use is you know it's it's my job to bring heaven's blueprint to bring the kingdom mandate to earth i'm the one that brings the strategic revelation is another phrase strategic revelation to earth and so there's all of this kind of very kind of almost new agey language yeah around it um and when this new revelation or the strategic blueprint is mentioned, it, it's never scripture. <laughs> it's never no, scripture. I can believe that. It's always something else, you know. Um, you know, so I, I think the, these are interesting things to note. Um, and I would say as well that um, this view that apostles are for today is a recent one. It's a very recent yeah. one outside yeah, of the Roman Catholic Church, which believes in, of course, apostolic succession, that uh, the apostleship of Peter was handed down pope to pope, uh, unbroken, as they say. Of course, we know that's not true. Um, but outside of the Catholic Church, this is actually a new view, and it's really only small Christian cults that have actually believed in the continuance of the apostle, the office of apostle for today. And I, I do want to keep drawing your attention to that word office because... Yeah. This is something that's very key is that um, I think it's Dr. Michael Brown, who's very sympathetic to Bethel. He's, very, he's a, a theologian and an apologist, very sympathetic to Bethel, but he would make the delineation. He would make the, um, he, he would make the delineation between having a gift of the spirit, which is apostolic and being an apostle so he'd call yeah. them capital a apostles and lowercase a apostles now and he's one of them you know he's a he's a charismatic he's a you know um he's borderline nar himself but even he would say no there are no capital a apostles walking the earth today there's nobody sitting in the office of apostle today no um and you know the idea that there are apostles like paul walking the earth today is a belief that has literally only arisen in the past 50 60 years in the uk you know um sort of arose with the restoration movement people like bryn jones uh covenant ministries uh you've got um to a to an extent nfi terry virgo um though i don't quite know where they stand on those things but certainly bryn kerry jones and others in that movement would have been of the position that there are capital A apostles today um, and that apostles are to govern the church um, and that it's elders that are sort of accountable to them. Um, but this is a relatively new belief 
in terms of the church and in fact the if we look in scripture the the um the only place really where we see anything like apostles being commissioned if you will is in acts one yeah and so in acts one we have the apostles wanting to well seeing that they need to rather uh replace judas because judas has um has gone at this point and there's actually a some criteria that's laid out so we we'll just turn quickly there to acts 1 21 just take me a moment while i turn the pages here um so here we go so one of the men who've accompanied us accompanied accompanied us sorry during all the time that the lord jesus went in and out among us beginning from the baptism of john until the day he was taken up from us one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection and then we know they put forward two joseph called barsabbas who's also called justice and matthias so there's a there's some criteria right there that they choose from they don't you know after after they say let another take his office there isn't a general call that says right well you know who who knows of somebody that really is called to be an apostle there's not a call that goes out that says does anybody here just really sense from the holy spirit right now that he might be calling them there's a set of criteria yeah that gets given first to whittle it down and that criteria is that the one who's going to take judas's place must have accompanied the apostles during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out amongst us. So they had to be there from the time when Jesus was ministering in Capernaum and in Galilee right through until Jerusalem, you know, at the yeah. end of his ministry. Um, so, sorry, from the baptism of John, yeah. All the, so even before he was in Galilee and Capernaum, <laughs> the baptism of John is going right back um, to the resurrection. And there's only two that get put forward from the multitude so there's a there's our basically our only idea of the criteria um so in there you've got must have accompanied jesus must have known jesus must have um been a witness to his resurrection yeah really important so key must, to christianity that must have seen his resurrection been a witness to the resurrected lord and of course the arguments made by the nar well you know well what about paul you know paul was an apostle you know of course paul himself calls himself a unique case in first corinthians 15 uh, where we see him talking about his uh, apostleship and now this uh, first corinthians 15 i don't know if you know but this is actually an ancient creed and um, this is a very early creed which was believed to have been said you know within the first few years after the resurrection of jesus um, so from verse 3 it says for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas then to the twelve then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time most of whom are still alive though some have fallen asleep then he appeared to James then to all the apostles last of all as, one, as to one untimely born he appeared also to me so what's being said here is i've seen jesus paul's saying my apostleship is legit <laughs> i've seen jesus although i was born out of time you know as as one born out of time 
for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. So we can see here that Paul himself is wanting to be, he's wanting, he's at pains here to let people know that he has seen the resurrected Lord. Paul is an unusual case, but he did see the resurrected Lord. Yeah. Um, he, he categorizes himself as, as one sort of untimely born. Um, is a unique case. Uh, perhaps the NAR might also, uh, proponents of the NAR might be saying, well, there are other people called apostles in the Bible as well. You know, the Barnabas is called an apostle. There are people that seem to be named apostles. What about Junius, you know, named an, an apostle? What, you know, perhaps that's a female apostle. You get all these um, questions that come back. But therein, again, is the issue of meaning in what's being said by the original writers of the New Testament. And that word, the Greek word apostolos, um, does have a number of meanings, just as the word, you know, cosmos, for example, has minimally 10 different meanings in the writings of John. You know, the, that's the word for world. Um, apostolos is the same. Now, Paul Washer, um, very interestingly, did a session on this a few years back. I think it was at G3. Um, oh, that's he, brilliant. He said, you know, the word missionary is actually an English translation of the Latin word missionario, which derives its meaning or is a Latin sort of transliteration, if you not transliteration, but a Latin equivalent of apostolos. And so the word apostolos in the New Testament is attributed and used in the case of the apostles of the Lamb, the Twelve. It is used for the office of apostle, but it also is used as a description of somebody who is sent yeah who is sent anywhere now of course it it can take that meaning because it's used in secular greek uh, the greek verb ap apostello means i send and that doesn't necessarily mean anything to do with the 12 or paul it can mean anything i send you know i send you to do this job for me apostello and one could be an apostolos if one was sent from a church in order to collect an offering, let's say, from another part of the world, you could be an apostolos of the church of Antioch, right? <clears throat> so the word apostolos has more than one meaning. It can describe a church missionary as much as it can describe somebody operating the office of apostle. So that's one thing to say is that um, <clears throat> there, is the, there is very little in the New Testament about raising up new apostles. The only time when we see anything like a set of criteria is in Acts 1. And we see that there was criteria. And then we see that Paul himself tries to, well, he does. He, he makes sure that people understand that he fits that criteria because undoubtedly questions were being asked about the veracity of his apostleship. You know, well, how could he have seen Jesus? Is he really one of the 12? Well, no, I have seen Jesus, he says, you know. So... Uh, we see that this is a working criteria um, in the early church. Um, <clears throat> and I think it's also worth saying um, that the church fathers, who are the people that, you know, obviously came immediately after the apostles. So we're talking about, you know, Papias, uh, Clement of Rome, pe people like this. Um, none of these men took that moniker for themselves which is interesting isn't it none of 
those who immediately followed the Twelve and Paul um, took the name Apostle for themselves. Um, they were disciples of these men, but none of them felt that they were called to be an apostle. In fact, <clears throat> many of these actually talk about in their writings an apostolic age. Yeah. Um, such as, you know, Clement talked about um, an apostolic age in his writings. This was something that had happened past tense and was now over. Um, and these men dare not sort of call themselves apostles. Uh, so the church fathers look back on the time of the apostles. Augustine does that, you know, some 400 years later, the time of the apostles. You know, if anybody had grounds to kind of say, stand up and say, oh, I'm an apostle too, it would have been these men, wouldn't it, surely? But none of them do. And throughout church history, um, no other uh, great theologian or teacher says, I'm an apostle, follow me, submit to my authority. No other um, great theologian does that. They, they no. talk in terms of an apostolic age. And so um, that's what I would say is the, the key difference between a charismatic church and an NAR church is that belief that a charismatic church will believe in the continuance of the gifts of the Spirit, but will believe what the Bible says about church governance, which is that a church is to be governed by elders, um, who all, of course, share slightly different mix-ups of spiritual gifts. And, of course, those spiritual gifts should be used to serve the body of Christ, um, but that no elder is to lord it over another, you know? Whereas in the NAR, there is the belief that either this gift of apostleship has endured to this day and we've only just realized it now so for the rest of the history of the church they were just wrong you know um for the rest of church history these yep. guys just didn't get it they just missed it or they believe that the holy spirit sometime in the last century has restored the office <coughs> to the church and so it does really affect gareth it does really affect the way that a church is governed um, yeah, it it does for me make it um, unbiblical <clears throat> in the sense that the New Testament is very clear about how the church is to be governed going forward. When the apostles plant the churches, um, obviously in Titus, you get you know set in order what is lacking, appoint elders in every church, you know, and we have guidance in Second Timothy and Titus in Peter, like for for what that kind of role looks like uh, what eldership should look like what we don't get is any guidance on hey if anybody in your church community feels called to be an apostle then here's what they need to do uh, send them up here to me we don't get that um, there's just an understanding that the church is to be governed by elders by shepherds you know so um, those are for me I think those are the key differences it, it centers around the the office of apostle and prophet um, and I think the, the, the outworking of that, there's lots of things I could say. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's, and that's of huge implications in terms of the orthopraxy as well, like how, not just how you lead a church, but what that looks like in terms of the ministry and the emphasis and, and, and what, what is proclaimed and taught from the pulpit and all those sorts of things. Oh, massively, massively. And um, I think, 
the, the probably the fairest thing I could say is that it, it it's open to abuse. You know, yeah. it's open to abuse, and I, I know lots of people who have struggled with, you know, sort of overbearing, controlling kind of leaders in this NAR movement who sort of see themselves as Paul or see themselves yeah. as like yeah. some, you know, real big shot, like gift from God. And I think it does kind of leave things really open to abuse. I'm not saying that in yeah, every NAR church there is, um, but it leaves it open to that because there's not the same level of accountability uh, in an NAR church. And, um, you know, I think we should also say in fairness as well, like any church of any denomination, whether it's conservative or, um, you know, more, author, you know, what we might call more conservative, uh, charismatic or whatever, there's always going to be that potential in any church as well. I 100%. think we absolutely yeah. would affirm that. Oh, totally. You can, you can get abuse in an elder run conservative church. Right? Yeah, absolutely. I think all I'm saying is that I would say that the NAR model is susceptible, more susceptible. More susceptible yeah, absolutely. You're perhaps placing too much power in the hands of one individual um and that can obviously lead to abuses of that power um not that it always necessarily does um but i would think another another issue with the nar is that <clears throat> you'll often find these churches will have a a sort of rather ad hoc approach to teaching oh where, yeah whereby know exactly and, what you mean. this is the big thing for me is that um Again, one of the risks of having these so-called modern-day apostles is that this apostle feels could necessarily, not necessarily always, but perhaps may feel that they are the one to bring the revelation, you know. And so they can never be wrong, right? They're an apostle. So, no. <laughs> so um, what you then get is that Scripture says what they want it to say. And so you'll often find in NAR churches a reluctance to preach from certain passages in the bible you you know you'll never get a work through of romans 9 for example right no <laughs> you're never going to get taken back into some of the murkier parts of uh, deuteronomy or or exodus or what have you like where the lord is sending sickness or or what have you you won't get work through that and and there are reasons and effectively i think one of the reasons is is that um the apostle sees it as their job really to um to bring the revelation yeah, uh, God is telling them directly what to say and what to do, and so the reliance is not any longer in the Word. So you're not going to have like going through a book of the Bible verse by verse. It's something you're just not going to see in any other church, is it? You're not no. going to see it. Uh, you know, you, you'll see series preached. You'll see the Bible quoted a lot, um, but often what it will be is that they they have a something they want to say. The apostle and what they'll do is they'll tack bible verses onto it like I, that's how i learned to do it really is you know I, quick turn to leviticus there's a verse in yeah. leviticus quick look at that and then it'd be like and um, oh quick turn to one john that's and it. literally you're literally just like fanning through your bible aren't you for literally yeah. for like an hour or whatever totally and i'm not saying this always happens i'm sure there are faithful people who can do this out there but the problem is is what you end up doing is you the, the context the wider context of any verse that you mention is, is largely ignored yeah and so absolutely you are literally co-opting scripture and utilizing it to say what you want it to say and so if you are in an nar church and this is the sort of preaching that you're used to 
All I would say is just check the scripture references, go to them, read a commentary, check out yeah. the verse before it and the verse after it. You know, like I've heard all sorts of things, like um, all sorts of things preached um, and verses tacked on. And I've practiced it. You know, I was a sold out NAR preacher, NAR pastor for a number of years and I've done it. So I, I know a lot of the time these pastors are not doing it vindictively they're not meaning no. to, to get things out of context but they are keen to tell you something fresh they're keen to tell you something new something exciting something that's going to get you going and so they're looking for scripture to support that but so often when you try and do that like you can't play the, you can't play the scriptures like a keyboard gareth you know no. it's not a musical instrument for you to rock up at and go well, I'll just play a bit of Ephesians 2. Right now, I'll jump over to Exodus 3. Oh, wow, you know, here we go. Here's my symphony. It doesn't work like that. You know, scripture is your master. It's it's not a tool in your hand, so to speak. No. You know, we know that it's the, the sword of the spirit. Uh, it doesn't work quite like an instrument in your hand. No. It, it's something that governs you, and uh, you are just the messenger um, of what scripture wants to say. So you have to be careful with context, don't you? And I think in any of our churches, and I'm sure in many others, but particularly in NAR, where, where the apostle and prophet feel they have this special kind of divine connection with God and God speaks to them. Um, there is this kind of ignoral, uh, sorry, this this ignorance rather of scripture. Yeah. Um, <coughs> and um, what you end up with is a congregation that is kind of semi-biblically literate. Like they can quote verses, yeah. verses at you, you know, they, they know some of the, promises of god and they know the armor of god but um if you were to sit down with them and i don't know read out some of the murkier parts of scripture you just watch them shift in their boots you know because they're not used to hearing that um they don't like it <laughs> you know they've been and, and taught the key things. thing to that the key thing to that as well is that approach means you're just not going to have any uh, a biblical theology, a systematic theology, uh, because you're not reading through what the whole of Scripture teaches on doctrines and beliefs. No. Um, so basically, systematic theology is just not going to be a thing at all, is it? Biblical theology and doctrine is just, you know, reformed or any kind of dogmatics is not going to be a thing at all, is it? Not at all. No, and it's seen, and that is one of the issues that we have today in the modern church is that because the NAR movement has become so popular in the UK, uh, you know, many of your kind of big fashionable churches now would be, you know, borderline NAR. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like many of them have kind of abandoned um, anything like a kind of verse by verse approach to scripture. And now it will be. Because they, because that's happened, you, you yeah you end up with essentially lots of Christians who are kind of half catechized, and and yeah. I was that you know I was that and it was only because of apologetics and I was getting out onto the street with skeptics asking me difficult questions that I realised I needed to have a systematic theology I needed to have an understanding of the Bible that really spoke consistently about who God was and who we were and yeah. because then I'd be able to respond to the skeptics questions better. It was actually that practice that made me realize, goodness me, I can't go on preaching, you know, sort of hopscotch sermons where I'm no. like skipping over here and grabbing this. I need to feed the sheep with consistent scriptural teaching. I need to be building doctrine in them so that they know the God they're worshiping. And um, 
so yeah i think that that that's the that's the worry i think lots of nar christians are you know amazing christians they many of these who believe or in or are in nar churches um really are passionate you know they love the lord and they love to worship um you know so the that's amazing. That's wonderful. But I think that's in spite of the doctrine. <laughs> that's in spite yeah. of the, the errors rather than because of them, you know? Um, so I think, yeah, the, those, are, those are some of my concerns is basically the, the lack of consistency in teaching. Um, and then it, it begets this kind of almost like a, a hatred of doctrine and a hatred of biblical teaching which is just an unchristian thing, isn't it? You know, it's yeah, like absolutely. when somebody actually comes in and says, right, you know, we're going to work through this book of the Bible. It's like, hey, don't be bringing religion, man. You know, don't be bringing law. We're about grace here. Like, don't be talking about God's wrath. We talk about his love here. Like, you know, he's a good father. And these sort of like little quips and quotes and your, four, you know, 120 character tweets, they become the scripture for the NAR Christian rather than Bible, you know? So it's like, and that's very much the currency at Bethel. It's like, yeah. hey, say something clever in a tweet and, you know, everybody's loving it, but but ask them to work through the book of Romans and it's like, hey, we're, we're not Oomph. into religion here, you know? <laughs> You're <laughs> like, hey, reading the Bible's not religion, you know? Reading theology isn't religion. Uh, that's loving God, actually. You know? I just like to read a few verses at the end of Romans 8, really, and that's just... <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not going to bother with Romans 9 <laughs> yeah so I, I think that's perhaps those are some of the things in the governance of NAR churches that are of concern but I think there is more and I think often the NAR is very closely linked too closely linked for comfort to the word faith movement um, yeah, yeah. so this would be you know going back to characters like Kenneth Hagen um, Kenneth Copeland Benny Hinn uh, Joel Osteen, you know, characters like this. And the NAR is, is very connected to those people. Um, and they share platforms regularly at conferences. Oh, um, they do, don't they? You often see, you're often quite shocked with people who are sharing platforms with each other. You think, yikes, and you see that yeah. a lot. You do, yeah. And you see, obviously, you know, some who are formerly in reform circles are now moving in those circles as well. Um, I mean, it's not to say everybody in those circles is wrong. <clears throat> but there are some that really are wrong. Yeah. Right? Um, that really have gone the whole way, the whole nine yards into heresy, you know. Um, and so there is a danger there. There's this kind of health, wealth gospel that creeps into a lot of NAR churches. Like, you know, we, we used to do the Bethel declarations uh, before the offering, you know. And when you look at them now and you read them back and some of them, there's one which I think has you repenting of poverty and small mindedness and things like oh. that. You think, wait a minute, like that's awful. You know, when the widow came and gave two mites to the temple offering, did Jesus stop her and say, "Excuse me, love, um, you actually could really do yourself a favor by repenting of your poverty." Actually, you know, take that two mites back, right? Pull it back out, okay? Now go sow a seed into something that's prospering, okay? <laughs> well, Jesus himself wasn't exactly rolling in it, was he? I mean, well, there you go. That's that's it. But I, then, I've, I, you know, I've heard preachers say that he was. You know, I've heard NAR preachers say that he was a man of means. That you know, uh, he was rich. That he had a big house. So, like this, this sort of the thing, son of man has nowhere to lay his head. You know, 
Yeah, and, you know, the, I think that's the worry really for me is the proximity of NAR to Word Faith. Yeah. And how kind of quickly they jump in bed with characters like Hin and Copeland and what have you. And that would be something to worry about for me. It's like, oh, yeah. for me, if you if you can't call Kenneth Copeland a false teacher, you can't call anyone a false teacher. Well, this is it, isn't it? So if your pastor is cozying up with somebody like that and, you know, or repping them, then that is something to, to ask them about and say, hey, like, are you aware of some of the teachings that they have, the little God's teaching, you know, the teach this teaching that Jesus is just a born again man, that, that, you know, you could have done what he did if you'd gotten the same revelation or whatever. Like these are, these are, you know, these would have got you burnt at the stake 500 years ago, man. So like if your pastor's kind of repping people like that, then you've got to ask some questions, I think, uh, because this is dangerous stuff, you know. Well, I was, uh, at, I was at a conference a while ago and I heard um, one particular NER um, leader said, um, Jesus laid aside his divinity to show us that it'd be how easy it was to do miracles yeah. or something. Yeah, it's I've just this that. sort of stuff yeah. you hear it all the time, don't you? And it's- yeah, I've heard that. And um, I think, yeah, that that would be another concern is that, you know, um, whether the NAR movement sprung from word of faith or whether it's just closely related, I don't know. But um, the two de- there's a lot of overlap there. Um, so I would say that would be, a, a you know, a cause, a cause for alarm as well, really. Um, and yeah, I think Voddy Bochum said, didn't he? He said, you know, the, the modern church is raising pas- passionate people who love the Jesus they don't know very well, you know, and I think that that's, that's a, so true. It sums it up quite well for me, really, is that um, perhaps my concern while I was in the NAR movement was to try and bring it back to a more biblical model, yeah, by bringing in some verse by verse, uh, as much as anything, because I recognised my own struggles, like when I'd been out on the streets witnessing to people and not having a consistent doctrinal Christianity to kind of respond with or whether it is you know thinking about my young people at, at the church or all my own kids when they get of age and and they have to you know go out into the world and you know they're confronted with people that say well you know doesn't your god kill a bunch of people in the bible isn't that immoral and isn't your god supposed to be good but doesn't he also kill his own son and, you know like I think that as much as anything is is the danger for a lot of the NAR believers is that it kind of because it's not systematic no it it sort of can descend into a very subjective mess really of like feelings and experiences where it's essentially no different to anybody's sort of new age beliefs really like oh well I just, just had this amazing encounter and I was knocked out for three days and like you know Jesus spoke to me in a dream and whatever like and i don't deny that the lord can do that like the lord can speak to you in dreams god can uh, of means can you know uh can touch you supernaturally by the holy ghost and you know you can you know have these encounters but if that's all your faith bubbles down to then then there are issues you know Uh, yeah if you can't actually stomach reading romans 9 then you should really worry about that <laughs> you know and i know i know some christians i know of some who who would be offended to read that passage out loud you know in church or would be if it, it would make their stomach turn to yeah, read revelation completely. 20 you know the great white throne and the judgment like that they would feel oh, this is inappropriate you know and and that's where you have to worry really 
um, is whether God is unwelcome in his own house. You know, oh, definitely. So, yeah, those are some of my concerns. I mean, there's more, obviously, we, we could get into... Obviously, there's a lot of dominionism, isn't there, Gareth? Is an area that you've yeah. done some study into. Um, why don't you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, sure. I mean, it'd be good to just sort of go into what you might call their theological framework or, you know, their kind of philosophy, um, because as we know, our orthodoxy affects our orthopraxy. And so really two of the main areas, theological areas you're going to see in NAR are going to be kingdom now theology and dominion theology. And I just want to explain a little bit about those two, just so that because when you actually understand the the, the sort of framework and, and what they teach, then it helps you to understand all these things a lot a lot clearer so and to start with in kingdom now essentially their teachers assert that the power of the holy spirit in this age is given to the church to save and transform culture so you'll hear yeah, this from the stage a lot of preachers yeah. it'd be like we are going out there to transform the culture and transform this leads yeah yeah cities city towns mandate, it, yeah a city mandate, yeah. Now, this is the, the, the key thing, and I'll come back to this at the end, so a little link to what I'm going to talk about at the end. But this leads to a false eschatology that the church will usher in the second coming of Christ. Now, this is really important because it, that there's, if we are thinking that it's us that usher in Christ, then we are set to be very, very, very deceived when the Bible actually teaches that actually no man knows the hour and, and, and Christ will return when no one expects him. You know, God knows when Christ is coming back. No one else. It's not for us to uh, build up a head of steam, as it were. So it's the whole, with, with Kingdom Now theology, it's the whole idea of if we can get enough Christians operating in the power of God, the whole world will be transformed by us. Yeah. It's this yeah. kind of like, you know, if, if you work hard enough, you know, that the return of Jesus Christ is not dependent on, uh, on we're not dependent on, on God sending, uh, you know, Christ returning, but actually the return of Jesus Christ is actually the church taking over the world and demonstrating the power of right. God by signs and wonders. Right. So this then leads to the little kingdoms and little gods um, idea that we hear a lot. So the idea that ministry success um, or an appearance of success is evidence of God's approval. So we'll see this if someone's doing well, like they're wealthy, yeah. uh, they've got a brand new Audi or whatever it might be. You know, that's that's uh, evidence of uh, God's approval. And Kingdom Now leaders will teach that by the church's authority, the culture of nations are made Christians. Now, as we've already said, but the Bible actually says, and this is the key thing, when Jesus, um, uh, when before he's about to ascend it into heaven, and the last thing he says is to his disciples in the Great Commission, he says, make decide that all authority has been given to me yeah. go and make disciples whereas there's a sense within kingdom now that or a belief that all the authority has been given to us yeah and that they would say that when they say well it's been given to jesus and they'd look at matthew 28 and say you know because he says go therefore that means that it's now ours and yeah you know the holy spirit takes of what is is his and gives to us and therefore um it's over to us you know we're in the driving seat and it is, I would say in, in many ways, it's, it's kind of like a Pelagianism on steroids because you're going out there and really actually wowing people. Um, so the kingdom now, apostles and prophets, they really do believe that their spiritual gifting and authority is all that's needed to overthrow the corruption of this age. So the kingdom now theology, the gospel of the kingdom believes that it's the responsibility of, of Christians to bring heaven to earth. 
Yeah. Uh, and so the main way that this is achieved is through the signs and wonders and heavenly um, encounters. So miracles would be promoted all over the world uh, and that results in an, an advancement of the kingdom of heaven uh, on earth. So the idea that the nations will be radically transformed and the signs and wonders movement will then lead to the second coming. Now, this then leads to dominion theology, which kind of links into what you were already saying, which was that apostles and prophets teach that the, that the church is to take dominion over the earth. And so their theological argument for this is that, and, and this is a key thing, that the the belief that God has restored the dominion back to the church, which Adam lost at the fall. So they hold to the belief that Christ's death on the cross has recovered for Christians all of the victory over Satan, which means the church's mandate is to then go and retake dominion. So it's, it's to claim it back. Whereas actually, on the other hand, Jesus talks about the signs of miracles that he performed pointing to salvation that could only come through faith in him. And I mean, this this verse, I think, is really key. Uh, these verses is really key at the end of John chapter two. And it says in verse uh, John chapter two, verse 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem, the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in a man. So essentially, the, the kind of physical emotional healing, it only meets a temporal need in a person. The healing is meant to lead to Christ, as, as he then goes on in John chapter three to talk to Nicodemus about unless, unless you're born again you'll not enter the kingdom of God. This is, a, a, this is a, a transforming of the soul. This isn't a being convinced in the same way that there were people at the end of John chapter two, Jesus um, sees all these people who believe in him because of the signs of wonder. So they believe he's someone special. They believe he's got anointing and power, but they don't see him as the son of God. Yeah. They don't come to him as they're supposed to. And this is where I think the, the one of the main problems is that if you go out there, and I've, I've done this as well. I mean, I, I you know, prayed for someone out who wasn't a Christian to be healed. And, and, and they thought, wow, that's really neat. Yeah. But they don't come to Christ in that. It's just yeah. like, oh, well, you just you prayed for my neck and it got healed. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah. You know, I said, no, no, Jesus healed your neck. Yeah, great. Whatever. I, yeah, thanks for that. Yeah. It doesn't lead to transformation, does it? This is the thing. And so signs of wonders and the miracles, they're always secondary to the salvation in Scripture. Jesus always turns around to people and says, your sins are forgiven. That's the key thing. It's not that just the sign itself. And any teaching that promotes the signs and wonders themselves over salvation is essentially false teaching. And this is the problem with dominion theology. It essentially puts it over the, over the top of the actual message of salvation. And in fact, dominion theology, as I've already said, comes from, uh, from Genesis 1 verse 28. And it's actually in the King James Version when it said that Adam and Eve had dominion over every living yeah. thing. So that's, the, that's where it comes from. Um, and dominion essentially teaches that, that really that the new birth that come they do teach that new birth that comes from the gift of grace through faith. So they will kind of teach the gospel. So you'll hear the gospel preached in dominion churches in that sense. But they will take Genesis one twenty eight as the end goal. And this is where people miss it. And I think it's really important for Orthodox Christians to understand this, that yes, there will be a preaching of the gospel, 
But the end game is not salvation and sanctification, justification by faith alone through grace alone. Instead, it's a it's a right now you've been saved. That means now we're reclaiming the ground that we lost in the Garden of Eden. We are claiming that ground back. And so the work of the cross is essentially restoring to the church what Adam lost to Satan in the fall. So essentially we're now called now that we're Christians, we're called to go out there and and sub and subdue uh, creation again. But the thing is, the problem is nowhere in the New Testament does it does it teach that, does it? Mm. I mean, in fact, in in, in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul describes in in Ephesians chapter two, verses one to two, and in chapter six, verse twelve, he describes how actually the devil still has dominion in the earth and in and in the and in the in the air, the second heaven, as it were. So it's actually the devil still has dominion, and Jude in his epistle talks about snatching people out of the fire. So this is not about stomping all over all over the world and, and claiming it back, and this is uh, really where they where they stand on their teaching. So this kind of dominion emphasis is something you're you're going to notice, and that's why it's not going to be about teaching what we believe as Christians and building up our faith and growing our faith and growing in Christ likeness and, and sanctification. It's always going to be. It's a very driven kind of emphasis that, right, get out there and start well, tiring, moving in signs of wonders. It's yeah. tiring. And, you know, like, I, I recognize that because that was certainly my mindset. Like, you know, the idea, not that I was going out to preach the gospel necessarily, but that, you know, if we can just, if we can just see God move and just get this one testimony, right? Somebody get, gets radically healed or gets out of a wheelchair, like, that's going to be it. You know, yeah. we'll, have, we'll have the papers here and then the papers will publish it and the whole city will just want to be coming and getting healed. And the aim sort of was more along the lines of the transformation of cities more than anything. And, and yeah. that rather than repentance and faith, it was transformation, healing, prosperity and things like that. And it wasn't, you know... I, I've seen a lot of people healed, you know. Yeah, I've totally believed for for healing, but like you, it would be a case of, oh wow, you healed my back. Are you are you like Darren Brown then? You know. Uh, yeah. Oh, cheers, <laughs> oh, no, mate. Je yeah. Jesus healed your back. Well, great, cool. See you later then. You know, and um, I think it sort of dawned on me that all these people people could get healed and they'd still reject Jesus. You know. Yeah. And as Paul says in Romans one, you know, they they suppress the truth in unrighteousness uh, that people don't want to respond to positive evidence for god because they have an interest in continuing to sin right yeah so the only thing that's going to change that is the holy spirit through the preaching of the gospel um and i think yeah like this kind of hardline dominionist sort of let's take dominion theology causes burnout in a lot of christians yeah. it's this idea of like right now get out there you know occupy the seven mountains rise to the top you know yeah um influence and you know those it's about power you know um it burns people out you know and, it's, I think, and it's tiring and, and as opposed to the reformed view of actually election where actually we go out there we do share the gospel yeah. but we don't worry about how 
you know, well, our evangelism went today. We did our best. We prayed. We went out and I shared our faith. But we come home and we think, oh, I wish I'd said it like this. Now, Dominionists would be like, well, you should have performed that miracle. Whereas actually a Calvinist will say, well, don't worry about the mechanics of how you shared your faith. If you shared the gospel, let you sow the seed, the Holy Spirit will take care of the rest. There's a resting in what God's doing rather than. So this is a very man driven yeah, and I think there's a, there's a heavy dose of pragmatism in a lot yeah, of these churches. Absolutely. Which is where, you know, okay, right, well, it's over to us now. It, it, this is our turn to do our bit. So whatever gets the job done, that's what we'll do. You know, whichever yeah. beliefs we hold, which make it more likely for an unbeliever to come into our church and to stay in our church well those are the beliefs that we'll profess you know whatever evangelistic message we need to preach that's got more likelihood of winning people over that's what we'll preach right so we'll leave out the stuff about sin and about wrath and about hell and we'll tell them about the oh, yeah. father who wants to just heal them and wants to give them a better job and and if you can do it with a prophetic word that's even better you know um oh, God just loves you. He just thinks you're amazing and he just wants to give you a job. And, you know, these sorts of things. Well, there's somebody's maybe more likely to come to Jesus if they hear those things. And so pragmatism certainly has a hand in uh, in the way that church is done and in the the profession of faith that they make and the gospel that they preach. Uh, it's, it is quite a, a man-centered approach that, that centers on, yeah, um, it, it's almost got a right focus in that it wants to win the world, but it's kind of yeah. wanting to win it in the wrong way, you know? Like, no, it is. Um, so, yeah, I, I see that. And um, it, it does leave people tired and burnt out. Like, I, yeah. I did want to just circle back as well and, and just kind of respond to some of the counter arguments that you might face before we finish yeah. up as well. And I think we should probably dive into eschatology on the next episode, maybe. Absolutely, yeah. Got some really interesting to say, uh, things to say on that. But um, there is confusion around um, apostles today sometimes because of the arguments that you'll get in response to saying what we're saying. You know, saying, look, you know, none of the great theologians in history or church fathers claim to be apostles none of them thought that you could just suddenly call yourself an apostle so why are you doing that now I say oh it's because it's in the bible well where oh it's in ephesians you know um in ephesians 2 you've got uh but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of god built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets there you go christ jesus himself being the cornerstone so what they would s- in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of God. So they would say, well, there you go. That's the church. The apostles and the prophets have to be the foundation. Um, and Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. So what they say then is that in any church, you need to have apostles and prophets. You know, I've been in a, a Bethel-led workshop where that was said. Yeah. Any church that's planted, and this is your text, that tells you there you need prophets and apostles um, before you can start building anything else. But my response to that would would simply be, um, well, if that's true, then you need another Jesus every time you plant a church. Yeah. Because if he's the cornerstone, have you got to relay Jesus every time you start a church? Yeah, completely. No, he's been laid. He is the cornerstone. You only need one Jesus. You only need one cornerstone. If I'm building a house, as Voddy Bochum says, I only need to lay the foundation once. You know, I don't need to lay multiple foundations uh, i lay 
one foundation. Uh, so the apostles and the prophets there doesn't necessarily mean, well, it certainly doesn't really argue for their position of apostles and prophets today. Um, uh, it, you know, Jesus is living as a cornerstone and the, the ministry of the apostles and prophets is living today in the sense that it's been preserved for us in the scriptures. You know, yeah. we have the ministry of the apostles here in the New Testament. And again, the other scripture would be uh, Ephesians 4 which would say um, 4.11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So what they would say then is, well, have you attained the fullness of Christ? No. Well, you need apostles and prophets then because the ministry of apostles and prophets must carry on and continue until the church attains the fullness of Christ in maturity of faith. Yeah. And again, we have to say, is that a logical inference from the scriptures that we read? No, it isn't. No, it isn't. Because what we have here again is we have the idea that Jesus has given certain gifts of ministry to the church to build up that work. There's no promise that all of those ministries will be sustained in exactly the same way. We simply know that Jesus has given these gifts and these gifts will build up the church until they reach the fullness of maturity in Christ. Now, as it happens, of course, Reformed Christians and most Christians throughout history would say, well, the apostles' ministry has been preserved for us in the scriptures, in the canon of scriptures, yep. which was the work of the Holy Spirit. So we've still got it today. We, we're still being built up by the ministry of the apostles. Um, and so I would say that is that essentially what happens is that these verses in Ephesians are taken and they are reading in their own presuppositions. They're reading in what they want to read and then saying, well, look, there you go. It's plain. You know, you need apostles because without apostles, you know, there's no maturity or attaining of the fullness of yeah. Christ, you know. So uh, it's, it's just simply understanding, again, the context and reading those for yourself a little bit to know how to respond to these arguments. Um, but I thought that was worth discussing. Yeah, and sure. At, I'll, really. I'll quickly just um, end where I started with the eschatology very briefly because we can do another podcast on eschatology sometime. Yeah. Um, but the thing, the thing which is concerning with the Kingdom Now movement is this kind of false eschatology that the church will usher in the second coming of Christ. Yeah. And what they would hold to is, um, or many of them would do, uh, would be what's known as a full preterism, which believes that, that? <laughs> uh, which essentially essentially it's like a historic view which believes that the book of revelation was fulfilled in 70 ad yeah so that means that they would see nero as being the antichrist as such so the whole kind of revelation 13 mark of the beast that all refers to nero yeah um and the antichrist has been and gone so really now we're just looking to transform the church uh, have a massive revival as we make uh, all all of the all of the world come back to come back to god and then Christ to return, that'd be it. Yeah. The problem with that, of course, is that Jesus says that there'll be false Christs and false prophets who will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. So yeah. guess who's going yeah. to be prone to be fooled by false Christs and false prophets? Because if, if you're looking for signs and wonders all the time, 
Yeah. And the Antichrist comes and, and false prophets come and they perform signs of wonders. Yeah. You're going that to be absolutely danger, wide open to that, aren't you? And that's why what you believe matters. This is why actually theology matters. What you believe really, really does matter. And we don't just read theology just to be dry and sort of like geeky. This stuff's important. If you don't believe there's a, an Antichrist coming, if you don't believe... Um, if you actually sense that, that the golden age church converts the world, if you believe in worldwide church unity that isn't actually uh, Christian unity, but an ecumenicalism yeah. of different oh, religions, yeah. which is going to bring in the one world religion, as you yeah. can see. And lastly, if you don't believe that God judges anymore and that the cross deals with all sin and condemnation and, and that's it and removes the judgment. But this is the whole point. It, it, it deals with sin and condemnation for the sinner. Yeah. But there's, there is still going to be a day of judgment and many are going to be judged. Yeah. And so there's so much that, you know, just to close uh, what I'm saying, there's so much that what the Bible teaches and, and our understanding of theology really is building our house on the rock. Yeah. And I really feel that NAR are sadly, and many people in that church are really building a house on the sand. Yeah. Yeah. It's my worry for it, Gareth. I think it's the, the next generation of kids that you know are going to be raised yeah. in the NAR, which is now the the dominant expression of Christianity, really in this nation, and they're going to be raised without a systematic understanding of God, of who Christ is, of who they are, you know, and that worries me, you know, and it worries me for the next generation of church leaders also. Unless we do see a revival of doctrine, we see a revival of doctrinal preaching. You know, of the likes of Martin Lloyd-Jones or obviously the late 19th century preachers, including Charles yeah. Spurgeon. You know, we need that in this day. We need a return Amen. to Scripture rather than a departure from Scripture. We need men who are humble to preach the Word and to subject themselves under it rather than men who put themselves over the Word and pretend to themselves to have fresh revelation from God. You know, we we don't need more of that. <laughs> no, we <laughs> that, don't. That's my worry, really, is... Um, Especially when we're seeing, again, just the advance of theological liberalism, of, of uh, things like progressive Christianity. NAR Christianity has got no answer to that at all. No, it hasn't. It has no answer. Or the rise of Islam. You know, again, NAR Christianity has got no answer to Islam. It, it, it can't present the type of Christ that Muslims need to be saved through. And so, you know, we need a strong Christianity, a, a biblical Christianity and a spirit-filled Christianity for this day, don't we? Absolutely, right. Yeah, well, that's all we've got time for today. It's been a fantastic discussion and I'm sure there's lots more to pick up on next time. If you have questions that are related to what we've discussed uh, on the show today or questions uh, not related, that's fine, but mainly related to what we've said today, please do email us. Um, our email address is hammerandtulip at gmail.com. Uh, that's hammerandtulip at gmail.com. Also, if you're enjoying what you're listening to, please do give us a little star rating. It always feels super nice to see those popped up there. And if you've got time to write us a review, we would dearly love that. Um, until next time, we pray you have a fantastic time getting to know the Lord more and uh, enjoying discussing, discussing theology. Catch you soon. It's goodbye from me. Goodbye, everyone. Hope you, Goodbye. Hope you have enjoyed the show. Yeah, God bless. Bye-bye. <laughs>